The series is entitled Awaken to the Mission of God. Awaken is a... a, I've remarked how much I like that word. um, I've never been... uh, No one's ever woken me up with awaken, the word awaken. The worst... You ever think of how you wake up? You know, the worst examples in my mind of waking up are uh, boot camp. You know, like a whistle and kicking the trash can across the room and yelling something at me. You know, and then like right next to that is um, power goes out in the middle of the night so your alarm clock resets. And when I would get a phone call from like the ops officer saying... I missed the main brief. I'm late. Those are the worst. The worst. I mean, that to me is hell. What's hell is waking up every morning that way. To, And then if you think you go from there, like the next kind of ways we wake up would be like, say you, you um, sleeping in, you know, you got to get up for school. You got to get up for school, but you keep snoozing. It's just nine minutes. It's just nine minutes. And then, you know, mom realizes, oh my goodness. We're going to miss the bus. And you know, the wake up, that is kind of the next one. You know, and then there's the, hey, it's time to get up. Classic, get people out of bed, it's time to get up. And then like way over here is this, the, like, the most gentle version I can think of is like when one of your little kids falls asleep in the back of the minivan and they're all crumped over on the seatbelt. And for us, it's always a little guy. Say, hey, buddy, got to get you out here, you know, and you got to get up. But it's real, you sniff them, you know, it's real sniffy, (laughs) huggy. Oh, those are fun. But I've never been awakened. No one's ever said to me, awaken. It's a, it's, a, it's a big word. It, it's a regal word, a high-minded word, a, a king's English sort of word. It, you don't awaken to go to school. You, know, you don't awaken to go to work. Awaken is, there's purpose in that. That's how it feels for me. Awaken, you gotta have, if I'm gonna awaken, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna get out of bed, I'm gonna rise from my slumber. I mean, that's, if you're going to awaken, you're going to rise from slumber. Why get out of bed if you're going to awaken? You might as well get it all. You know, I mean, I might even arise from my slumber to the break of dawn. That's what's in awaken. There's a, it's just a noble purpose, kind of living in the word, or at least I think you can, you can see it there. Princely, it's a very princely word. And I think it's a great word for this series, because uh, we're trying to awaken to mission. We're not trying to wake up to mission. Uh, there's nothing in, like, in my spirit, or I think in the spirit of the church, that's saying that we're just asleep on the job, or we've overslept, or, or we better get our act together, or anything like that. No, quite the opposite. There's so many families in our church, so many individuals in our church, who are serving God's kingdom uh, in unique and interesting ways, and in mundane and daily ways, that it's, I don't feel as though it needs to be shaken awake. It's, it's more like awaken. 
like as a fellowship, this is a chance for us, these next several weeks is a chance for us to begin to arise to a greater fullness of God's will in the area of, of missions. Not to sit beneath the burden of kind of overslept guilt, but rather, but rather invite, invite the Lord in to your life to show you, Father, show us your will for the nations and for peoples in a new way. Like, warm me, make it grow out of me. That's awaken. And that's what we want to do this, this, this uh, period of the year. And <clears throat> missions. Missions or evangelism, these are words that are, man, they carry with them so much baggage. I don't mean that it, they're highly charged words, but I mean they're words that feel old. And if I say them, uh, other minds are just, uh, they kind of begin to tune out because they think they know uh, missions. I know that word. And it's something that I think, it's an, a concept that easily lives in the mind. But what we want to do when we awaken is we want to awaken this concept to our heart and our soul. We want to, to not simply cognitively believe the things God says about the earth and humanity and people and his love. But we want, we want that to you know, warm us, rise in us. That's what we want. And that's, that's what we're going to dedicate this month to, the remainder of this month and into May. So I'm not preaching to your minds. Everybody agree. I assume you agree about missions. No, we're not going to... And I don't even, I'm not even under the assumption that this sermon will do it whatever it is. In fact, what we've, we've done over these several weeks is lots of different things. We've encouraged life groups to work through the book Life on Mission. And if you're not in a life group, we have books in the office. You can work through it and read through it. It's a short, readable book that really encapsulates everything you saw in that video. That video was right down the alley of, of the, God's heart for mission. Uh, every week in the weeklies, there's, prayer, there's a prayer prompter, a way to help you pray to come out. I ask you, I ask you to take the time to pray. I ask you not to see this as another thing, but as a chance for our whole church to hold hands and lean and to say to the Lord, Lord, awaken us in this. Show us something new about ourselves. We have the conference coming up, which I think is going to be really good on the first and second of May. And then we gather as one church on May 3rd. Um, We're not... We haven't slept in, but I do think God has something to show us. Okay. So, with that said, I want to turn our attention to Psalm 96, but what I want to do is I want to narrow the thought today. The thought for this morning is for us to observe God's heart for the nations, God's heart for people. That's what I just... We could talk about how to do missions. Okay, that'll come in a couple weeks from now. We could talk about our role and responsibility in missions. That'll be next Sunday, right? But this Sunday, all I want us to do is invite, really try to get our hearts and, and spirits around what God thinks of people, what God wants to have happen. 
because everything else is hollow if we don't have God's desire in it. So I'm going to read Psalm 96. Uh, I'm going to read it all the way through once with you, and we'll kind of stop and summarize along the way, but then we'll, we'll, we'll back up and meditate on uh, the first five or six verses. Here's, here's the psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. I think that is the goal. In this psalm, Psalm 96, as we keep reading, verses 1 and 2 kind of encapsulate what does God want? Okay. Everything else is going to follow, is going to kind of play to that idea. Look at verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous work among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. This section, so three to six, has, so if one and two kind of say, this is God, what God wants, then it's as though God turns his gaze to his people and says, if this is what I want, then this is what I would want you to do. Declare my marvel, glory and my marvelous works to the nations and the peoples. That's the theme of, of those verses. Let me get seven, seven through nine here. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. So God desires the whole world would know, right? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And then he turns to his people and says, declare my glory. Declare my wonders. Declare my marvelous works. And then seven through nine is a response of the people of the world to that faithful act. So God wants it to have happen. He looks at his people to have it happen. And then it happens. In seven through nine, this is the right response of the peoples, of the families, of the nations, of the world upon it. Is them ascribing to the Lord, not fear, not judgmentalism, not... But I mean, not unrighteous fear, but but glory and honor and offering and worship. Then there is a refrain here in verse ten. As though God looks back to his people, he says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And then in 11 to 13, you have the response of the earth. And I don't mean the earth like the people. I mean the earth is in the planet. Like the natural, the natural order in this psalm reacts to God. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness 
and the peoples in his faithfulness. Is there anything about this psalm that leaves any part of the earth uncared for? (laughs) I mean, God has such a comprehensive and global is it feels even like a small word, a universal concern that the world would know him and who he is. And he starts, or he says it, this is what I want, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. Then he turns to his people, declare the Lord. Then he turns to the world and says, ascribe to me. And then he turns to the earth and it's, let the heavens and the earth declare. This is God's will. This is God's heart about himself. And it's all wrapped up in this phrase, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. What I'd like to do for the remainder this morning is just to break that, break that statement, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, break it up a little bit and ask some questions about what does God mean by that? Why would he say sing to the Lord and why a new song and why to all the earth? Just break those three ideas. Why sing a song? Why a new song? And why to the earth? And I just want to stare into those ideas as a way of gaining God's heart for people. So to the first question, what does he mean when he says sing a new song or sing a song, just plain song? I mean, we know he's not a petulant or arrogant king. Like I can see a king wanting to feel good about himself saying to his his court, you know, dance for me or sing for me. We know that God, that's not, all, all the rest of scripture ensures us that that's not God's way. That's not what God's doing. And God's not like King Saul. Remember King Saul had uh, a spirit that tormented him, so David would have to sing to calm him down. That's not God. God doesn't, God's not sitting in the silence of heaven. We, you read Revelation 5, you heard it read to you this morning. Heaven's not silent. Heaven is doing this very thing. In fact, in that reading, all the nations, tribes, tongues, and people were doing this. And there's even a point where they ascribe to the Lord that he's worthy and glorious and wonderful. They do all this ascribing, and then all the earth and the sea and everything in them bows. It almost follows the contour of Psalm 96. So we know that God's not sitting in silence going, I wish someone would just sing to me. So why would he ask us to sing? Well, I think part of the answer is, well, part of the answer is kept up in the fact that, uh, in just the style of writing, where I'm reading to you a song. But in reality, we'd be singing this song about singing. And then things would make a lot more sense, right? I mean, if we were singing... I'm not going to do it to you because I don't think I will be able to foster God's heart for missions for you if I sing to you. But if we were to be in our song, be singing, sing a new song, sing, I mean, I almost, I'm tempted, but I will be strong. But so, I mean, the device that in one sense, singing is, you know, apropos for the style, for what's being done here. It's occurring inside of a song. You know, we have a, a praise song that we sometimes sing where, where there's a line like, you dance over me when I was unaware. 
You sing all around, though I never heard the sound. That would sound out of place anywhere else but inside a song. So in one sense, this is, this is, it's in a song, and it has the right to be there. But in its meaning, what is it saying? And I think the answer is in verse 2 and 3. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. It says, and tell of his salvation from day to day. Then in verse 3, declare his glories among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Why do we sing? Because we have something to sing about. We have cause to sing. I mean, God has done marvelous works among the peoples. God has done salvation for us from day to day. There is this the sense that we sing to the Lord because we have cause to sing, it would be more appropriate to ask the question, how can a people who have received so much not sing? It would be, it's emotionally and spiritually awkward. I'm not saying, like, you may be non-musical, but in, in keeping with the idea of the psalm, it would be more curious to have a person who knew of God's salvation for them from day to day and knew of what God had done for them how could they not sing? We have something to sing about. I was thinking through it. You know, I've, I've, we, we sing at weddings. We sing at funerals, excuse me. We, we sing at funerals. For people who die in Christ... There are bright songs sung at funerals. Nobody else has that. We have that because we have something to sing about. This is the the sense. The sense is if we grasp and grapple with what God has done for us. Okay, let the mind go here. Just let it be in your heart and soul. If you grasp what God has done for you, it is song worthy. The reaction, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying you need to be musical about it. I mean, we should ask, it, this plays into all those thoughts about why the church sings. By the way, do you notice we're essentially some of the last singing people in America, the church? Who else sings? You know, the generation before me, they all knew how to read music. Everybody played an instrument, everybody sang. The church sings, and people sing in their car. That's it. When do people get together outside of the walls of the church to sing? The only example that I could think of with reliability was when the Eagles scored a touchdown. <laughs> fly, Eagles, fly, right? They joyously sing. Why do they sing? Because it's a song-worthy event. You have a whole host of non-musical people who should never sing, who at that moment of celebration blare out to the top of their lungs, hugging complete drunken strangers <laughs> in song. That's why we sing. Because we have a better story than that. This is one of those times when I think, you know how Jesus says, you need to come to me like a child? That's his way of saying, stop, I'm not preaching to the mind anymore. I'm preaching to the heart and the soul. And there's this, there's this thing that happens to us as we, we grow older. 
we grow reserved in our maturity. And we do less things. We express in less ways. Uh, more introspective. Maybe more shamed. And you're, you're as smart at this as I am. It's mysterious to me. You ever notice how kids, little kids, how they sing all the time? They always sing. Honey, can you get me the peanut butter? I'll get you the peanut butter. You know? I mean, my daughter will let it go in the house. She will let it go and let it go and let it go. I mean, as she skips and hops like a little fairy, it's just, and you look as a parent and you're like, I hope it never ends. I hope it never ends. And there's a voice in you going, why did it end with you? I mean, children sing. Good thing happens, they sing. I'll give you a funny example. April 1st was not long ago, and I struck. (laughs) And in my home, you know, by the time the kid gets to school, the kids get to school, they're going to know it's April Fool's Day, so you got to get them early. (laughs) Because, you know. So uh, they're all in the kitchen eating breakfast, and Andrea comes down. And I say to her, I say, girl, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you on your cell phone. Act like it's the school, and school's going to be canceled for an electric power outage. I did this. Now, I will say, I'm not ashamed, okay? It's my role. I will say, and just to preserve my wife's reputation, this was an area where she submitted in marriage. So, so she goes into the kitchen, and her cell phone rings, and then the house phone rings, and then, you know, because nowadays... If you're going to do anything at school, it's going to ring 30 times. It's going to, like, you, it will register on your electric bill. <laughs> so, brant, brant, everything's beeping and squeaking. And then I holler into the kitchen. I say, hey, honey, the school's on the phone. Like, what's up? Well, as soon as I do that, I see all these little noggins go. <laughs> and then they go, what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? Is it school? What is, it? is it canceled? Is it canceled? Is it canceled? And she looks over and she says, the power's out. What do they do? They sing. <laughs> they sing like a bunch of little Peter Pan Lost Boys. They, and they start, nah, and they actually, they gather around me like I'm their campfire. And they're, nah, we don't have, sc-. they're creating lyrics, spontaneous lyrics. We don't have school. And pretty soon, like, we're into three verses of this, which, of course, I got the last verse of that song. But they sing. We have something to sing about. So much better than missing school. So much better than touchdown. Jesus Christ has saved us. I mean, his love has just come down on us. God sent his son. God has his will for you. God sees the brokenness in your life and he wants to change it and fix it. He loves you so much. It is song worthy. It's, it's worthy of infinite new songs. That's why do we sing? Because the truest, most powerful form of evangelism is believers who sing song-worthy songs about what God has done for them. That's what changes the world. It's not an academic treatise of theology about what Jesus Christ has done. It's you singing about what Christ has done for you. The most powerful missionaries are the ones where God is real in their life. And they sing. 
Why a new song? Because God is active right now. We sing new songs because it is not as though in order to celebrate our salvation, we have only, we can only remember the thing that God did that one time. God is, God has and is and is continuing to do good things for us. The Holy Spirit is in us, which means God has not left us. He has dwelled even deeper inside of us. That was a gift, not a substitute. God is real now for us. You know, I I love the song of Moses. And we started, you know, in teaching in Exodus, we started the song of Moses. Would it not be somewhat lame and dry for the church if all we still had was the song of Moses? Remember the one time that God did that one thing for the people a long, long time ago? That's not us. We have reasons, song-worthy moments right now in our life that are relevant and meaningful to this context and these people. That's why it's a new song. I just want to, again, I want to break away the fashioning, the over-fashioning that we've applied to things like evangelism and mission. We think in evangelism you have to have the story of how you came to Jesus, and, and, and even if it was when you were eight years old, that that's the story you have to tell with someone. How, you don't. You have to be truly confessionable about the power of Christ in your life right now because his mercies are new every morning and you're being made new, renewed, and you have a new song to sing. Now, some of you may be saying, like, I don't, you don't want to hear my song right now. Like, uh, my life is spiritually dry or I'm lonely or I'm going through a really hard time or I'm working through a really hard issue. I gotta be honest with you. This book of Psalms is full of that. You're not telling me anything new. Do you think David shirked away from confessing his weakness in the Psalms? His new songs, many of them start off in abject need. The difference is his Psalms end with hope. Out of the depths I cry. I waited patiently on the Lord. He lifted me out of the miry clay. If your life is real in Christ, even in a hardship, you could be pinning the first three verses of a psalm, waiting on Christ to finish the last one. Just like David does. These psalms, some of them are so desperate. And then you get to the very end, he says, but I will wait. But I know. But you have been good in the past. But this I can say. We sing new songs because... That means that the faith is working in us now. If you have no new songs, lots of questions about your soul. God's heart is that we would realize how song-worthy he is. Not that one time, but day by day. I sing of your salvation day to day. Verse two. That I would know.
Why to all the nations? So why sing a song? Because it's worthy of a song. Because if we knew what he did, we'd sing a song. Why a new song? Because he's currently active. Well, why all the earth? It's in verse 4 and 5. For great is to the Lord and greatly to be praised. Listen to this, this phrase. He is to be feared above all gods. And then 5 picks up on it. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Why do we sing a new song to all the earth? Because many peoples and families on the earth have songs that are killing them. It's not like our song is simply better. Their song is worthless. I mean, I'm using song, right? Song is, is a metaphor. Okay, it could be real. So I'm not rejecting the realness of the value of the song. It's just this is... In light of the bigger picture of God, what we have to talk about, it's not just a different genre of music. Okay? It's not like, well, they have their gods and we have our gods, and we like our God. Like, we like country western and they like rap. That's not it. It's not an issue of taste or genre. It's a qualitative issue. Our God is better and their gods are worthless. And I'm not saying this as someone who wants to spike the football on some false God. I'm saying this on behalf of a God who loves them more than we love them and knows that their life is rallying around a lie that is pulling them into death. He knows that he has the song that can be sung about God as a song of new life and rejuvenation and wonderful words like awakening and love and forgiveness and mercy that is not the songs that they are being taught to sing. That's why we sing to the earth. We bring them pure, good, holy evangelism the way that God's heart is, is believers who are so enthralled in his goodness to them day by day that they bring it to people who are perishing because they do not know his song. I see so much love in that. I had intended to uh, what I thought would be helpful here was get some song lyrics you know, like Billboard Top 40s bring them into you just to let you know the songs set them up against our songs I can't do that I, I, man I had to stop reading the lyrics my mind was getting troubled like there I'm sinning that you, I mean our song, what God has to say is so much better. I'm saying their songs are killing them. On the billboard, uh, I, went on, I went on, the number two song was called Take Me to Church, which I was like, oh, that's a bummer. It blows my whole theory out of the water. Like this Christian singer is right up there. Nah. Nope, didn't blow the theory out of the water. It's just an example. An example how you and I, we have, we have this songbook, this whole songbook. Every page you go to, God tells you how much he loves you. Everywhere you go, you find out God's been looking for me. He's been seeking me out. 
you, you realize that the word of God came to you from a faraway land and a faraway people and a faraway time because they knew that he's song worthy and his salvation is new day by day. And it should change your life. You know, we can go back in my family tree to places where there's nothing to talk about that's worthy. God broke that and started a new story. And it's for others too. I like verse six. It's kind of like, it wraps the whole thing up. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Just, that's God's heart, you know. Sometimes when we think of mi- missions or evangelism, you have this hard message. And we will end up, in this series, we'll end up dealing with the hard realities of what lostness is and the consequences of lostness. But God's not, the leading idea in God's heart for mission is not that the world would know about their lostness. It's that they would be found. He wants to find them. There's splendor and there's majesty in that. There's beauty in that. There's strength in that. All right. I'll close with this idea. You know, as the series continues into the conference and then the conference into the worship service on the third, we're, we're, we're walking towards... Uh, you know, awakening in this idea, learning about missions. There'll be practical things and, and contemplative opportunities. And we're eventually going to say that we'd like, our, our church would like to be able to partner with the missions work of our denomination in the continent of Africa to take a trip this year, to send a vision trip this year to see how could we potentially partner. But what I don't, I don't want, and so I want to affirm that as an important goal I don't want to misrepresent God's heart for mission as though it's six time zones away. It's in our life as we're doing it. You know, it matters more to me that you grapple the fact that three of your four neighbors don't know Christ than you grapple with an unreached people group across the ocean. Because if you grasp three of your four neighbors don't know Jesus, this church will eventually reach the nations. But on the whole, three of your four neighbors do not know Christ. And in our hyper-private culture, it is almost as though you have to figure out how to reach an unreached people group just to get across the street. So this is real and this is relevant. God's heart for a mission is not something that's going to launch you necessarily across the sea. It may just propel you across the sidewalk or in your work cubicle, or at a play date, or on the field, right? This is baseball season, man. This is when our town gathers. Lord, uh, the New Testament translation of this psalm is this, for God so loved the world. May we awaken to this together, Lord. Let's pray. You're good, and you're kind, and you love us, and you sent your son for us. Father, you knew my name and you knew the names of the people in here and there's many other names you yearn and look forward to writing in the Lamb's Book of Life. Father, we know that. We don't work about our responsibility later, Lord. We just want to sit beneath the fact that you long that the world would know you well, that they would ascribe to you accurately who you are. That's what you want.
Father, help us to want what you want. Lord, bless us in our, our time of this year. Help this to be fruitful as a body, Lord, as a church. Help this church to move as one in this idea, I pray.